broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. What up, what up, what up, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Thursday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Do we want your calls? Yes, we do. 702-365-9200. You know who's not in the huddle? Well, at least for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, their two starting offensive tackles, Eric Fisher, Mitchell Schwartz, both given their walking papers uh, today by the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, an agent uh, that I know um, basically said that the Chiefs are in such a bad spot right now um, with their salary cap that um, they're basically giving – you know, like offering entry level uh, salaries uh, to fill holes. They're over the salary cap by, I think, about two, three million dollars. Even after uh, the moves today, um, it's they're in dire straits. Uh, obviously, they'll get it all squared away. They'll get it fixed uh, in terms of getting aligned with the salary cap. Uh, but make no mistake, the Kansas City Chiefs last year weren't as as good as they were the year before that. Um, yes, they, you know they had a great regular season, but you could see some holes in that game uh, throughout the course of the season. The Raiders should have beaten them twice. Let's be honest with that. Um, they had them on the ropes in that second game in uh, Las Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. The defense unfortunately couldn't get it done over the last minute forty three or so uh, of the game. But that was a game the Raiders really should have won. They should have swept the Chiefs last year. There were some um, you know uh, comeback wins that the Chiefs had during the regular season. One of them being against the uh, against the Raiders. Uh, they beat the Chargers uh, in a little bit of a comeback. There were some others along the way. They just didn't look uh, the same dominant team that they were in 2019. And as they uh, you saw in the Super Bowl, um, where you know uh, their quarterback Patrick Mahomes was running for his life without Fisher, without Schwartz uh, in the lineup. Both of those guys by the end of the year were on injured reserve or, or out for for the Super Bowl. It made a difference, did it not? I don't care how creative you are, as you know, Andy Reid is as creative as it gets. Um, Eric Bieniemy, his offensive coordinator, is as creative as it gets. Patrick Mahomes is as good as it gets. But I don't care what kind of plays you draw up. I don't care how good the quarterback uh, might be. If you can't protect the play, if you can't protect the quarterback, every quarterback is going to feel that, and every quarterback's play is going to reflect that. So as we sit here today... No doubt the Chiefs uh, will figure out a way to get sufficiently under the salary cap to sign their you know rookie draft uh, um, um, group, uh, and then you know maybe make some moves to replace some of the players that they're lo- that they're that's leaving. But always been my experience that as good a players you know the when when you start losing good players and you start replacing them with lesser players, and it's hard to believe that the Chiefs unless they pull a rabbit out of their hat. Uh, are going to be able to to uh, sign the equivalent to Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz. Those are two high-level uh, players. So you have to assume they're not going to be as good on the offensive line as they were last year or in 2019. And we, as we saw uh, in the Super Bowl, that had a dramatic effect on their offensive operation. It's why I have been saying uh, to Raider Nation and, and everybody else that gets worried because Patrick Mahomes uh, is the quarterback, and obviously he's a tremendous player, uh, and he on his own can help the uh, the, you know, the Chiefs be relevant for a good long time. But this notion that 
they're just going to be this dominant team over the next 10 years. Uh, I, I've never bought it. And, and I only say that because I know how hard it is to rebuild and to sustain around uh, you know, in the NFL with a hard salary cap, and especially when you're paying your quarterback, what, $40 million a year or so? Uh, Got to look at his numbers, but he's way up there. It's hard to do uh, and maintain uh, around a quarterback that's getting paid that much money. And the Chiefs are already seeing the effect of that. So uh, we'll see. They're going to obviously be uh, good. Patrick Mahomes gives them uh, a chance to always be great. But are, are they this juggernaut that can't be beat? The Raiders should have beat them twice last year, let's face it. Uh, so I'm very, very curious to see where uh, this all ends up for the Chiefs. But also from the Raiders' perspective, did you happen to notice that they uh, traded their right tackle? Yeah, Trent Brown got traded a couple of days ago. Could Mitchell Schwartz, the Cal uh, product uh, by way of think, Palisades High School in, uh, in, in, in Southern California? I'll check that. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's all of a sudden on the open market. He's played at a high level for a long period of time for a couple of different teams. Is that a guy that the Raiders might be able to look at now uh, as their right tackle? I wouldn't rule it out. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line because Robert wants to talk about the Raiders, and he's in Oregon. How are you doing, Robert? Yeah, boy, were you right about Johnny Johnson. The guy, that, you know, the head coach at the Chargers, you know, he's his former former DC yep. and the Rams. God almighty. He wants him like, like, like now he wants Johnny Johnson. What do you think is going to happen here? Because I think he's the only safety solution. I know you'll say that Jenkins, you know, you know, it's been written that the Jenkins may come from chargers over to the Raiders uh, because he's leaving the chargers. Well, he's not Johnny Johnson. You explained that extremely well the other day. How do the Raiders get ahead of uh, whatever the Chargers are going to offer, uh, you know, to keep the Rams from trying to match it or try to do a upfront big, huge amount of money to keep them for the next four years? This is going to be a food fight. Yeah, and um, you know, I know the Rams are going to try to do whatever they can uh, to 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 keep them, but you know, they're they're thirty three million dollars over the salary cap right now. They're doing everything they can. Uh, just to be able to rework enough contracts where they're not just, um, you know, straight out releasing guys, kind of like what the Kansas City Chiefs just did uh, today. So uh, the Rams are up against it um, when it comes to the salary cap. Again, $33 million over. I don't see how they can viably, uh, you know, be a, um, you know, a, a serious candidate for for John Johnson. That's one of those where they're probably just going to have to reluctantly um, walk away from him. Now, in their defense, uh, and good for them, uh, you know, Les Need, their general manager, and their staff have done an excellent job drafting safeties. So um, as good as John Johnson is, and it's going to be a loss that they're going to feel, um, they've been preparing for this moment for quite some time. So they have guys that are at least going to be able to step up and step in, uh, not at his level, uh, but but they're they're in pretty decent shape at safety. But that's good for the for the for the Raiders uh, because it all but eliminates, I would think anyway, the Rams from consideration. No doubt Brandon Staley, uh, his former defensive coordinator, uh, would love to bring him uh, to uh, across town you know, to the, to the Chargers. It's funny when I hear people say, hey, you wouldn't have to move. Uh, yes, you would. Uh, the Rams train and practice uh, in Thousand Oaks, which is in Ventura County. Uh, the uh, Chargers are all the way, and I say all the way because it is all the way in Orange County, 
Um, so that's a lot. There's no way he could live where he's living right now. And I think it's in, um, I want to say that it's in Northridge uh, in the San Fernando Valley. There's no way that, that he can live where he is right now and make that commute every day. So he would have to move to, uh, he would have to move uh, to, to somewhere in Orange County or close to it uh, to be able to make that move uh, to the Chargers. And then you start thinking about – and keep in mind this about John Johnson and, and Bre, uh, Brandon Staley. That was Staley's only year with the Rams. He was a one-and-done as their defensive coordinator. The guy who really kind of found uh, – helped find uh, John Johnson was Wade Phillips, the Rams' defensive coordinator beginning in 2017. That was John Johnson's rookie year. And I'll never forget – um, you know, John Johnson barely played in training camp because he was hurt. And in fact, he told me a couple of years after that, that he, he's like, I, I was literally worried that I would be the first pick, third round pick or so to ever get cut before he even got to practice. He goes, I was so worried about my job because I couldn't get on the field during training camp. Um, you know, to do my thing. And the rest of us, the media, well, I didn't know, you know, I know the Rams drafted John Johnson, but that training camp, his rookie year, I had no – he wasn't out there, so there was no way to really get a look at what he was capable of doing. So about two, three games in uh, to his rookie season, all of a sudden the Rams uh, release their starting safety. Uh, I'll remember his name here in a second. We're all looking at each, at each other thinking, what? what? You know, they just re- <laughs> released their starting safety just like that. Yeah, we're going to start John Johnson, that guy from Boston College that we never saw uh, during training camp. Yeah, he's going to be all right, uh, Wade Phillips is saying. I think he's going to be fine. Sure enough. I think John had an interception his first game uh, as that that rookie start that he made, and then from there it's just been that's he's just a really good football player. And what I really like about him is he's extremely smart. And he's told me some stories um, about you know the the deep dives that he takes uh, in terms of breaking down film and watching film. He told me a story one time where he knew um, what a team was going to do based on some kind of alignment that they had. Uh, he knew exactly what they were going to do. And he was like, I had to literally bite my lip and just, uh, you know, um, uh, have all of my discipline not to just go running um, before the ball snapped to exactly where I knew the ball was going to be because I didn't want to tip off that I knew it. He goes, I'd just be sitting there like just raring to go, but I didn't want to go too fast because I didn't want to give it away. Um, you know, but he knew exactly what was coming and made play after play after play. Uh, because of that. So yeah, he would be a perfect fit here. Brandon Staley, obviously the Chargers' uh, new head coach wants him over there. And it tells you a lot about John Johnson, that a, that a defensive coordinator that worked with him one year uh, thinks so highly of him after after working with him ch- for just that one season. Um, and now he's a head coach with the Chargers, and obviously he wants him uh, over there. We'll keep an eye on that. But, you know, I know John Johnson knows uh, the opportunity here in Las Vegas. Uh, he's expressed it uh, pretty much on, uh, on on his Instagram live page. Uh, there's a huge difference between uh, living here in Las Vegas compared to living in in, uh, in Los Angeles, let alone Orange County, where the where the Chargers uh, practice. Obviously, he's going to make a lot of money, so he can live wherever he wants. Uh, but if he's looking for you know bang for his buck. Um, Las Vegas has a lot of bang for the buck compared to California. And trust me when I say players understand that. There's no state tax here in Nevada. It makes a huge difference. There is in California on top of the fact that, you know, real estate just is costs so much uh, back in Southern California. And I remember when I took the job to go, you know, cover cover the uh, the Raiders, I'm saying goodbye to some of the players, you know, that uh, the Ram players that I'd covered for the last three or four years. 
And, you know, I was like, hey, this is my last day or this is my last week, whatever it might, might be. Oh, yeah, where, where are you going? Oh, I'm going to go cover, you know, I took a job with Las Vegas Review Journal. I'm going to be moving to Las Vegas to cover the Raiders. Every single player that I said that to, uh, expressed that to, their first reaction was, Vinny, do you realize how much more money you're going to be making just based off of the <laughs> no state tax? They were like calculating it in their heads. And it just dawned on me and struck with me, uh, struck me. These guys understand that. They think about that type of stuff. So the Raiders are are, are very well positioned um, to to seize on that. And, and you know, for you know, I know John Johnson. Um, he he likes uh, entertainment. He likes to you know he he has some some things that he wants to pursue in his life. And being in Las Vegas now, living in Las Vegas like I have for the last year or so, it really is a suburb of California, a suburb of Los Angeles. You're forty minutes away on a flight. Four hours, if that, away uh, on a, on a car drive. It's very easy to get back and forth uh, to Los Angeles. So he wouldn't be moving far if he did come here to Los Angeles and or Las Vegas. And for my money, he's the best free safety on the open market. I know Anthony Harris comes up with a lot of interceptions, but I thought his year last year uh, hasn't been as good as it was in previous years. I just think John Johnson is the whole package, and I think he would fit perfectly. Uh, with the Raiders here in Las Vegas. Back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Justin wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Justin? Justin, you with us? Today, to hear about the Chiefs linemen getting released. Like, we thought we were in a bad situation. Look at those fools over there on that side, man. It just solidifies uh, how important it is for our pass rush to beef up over this uh, offseason, man. We saw what the Bucks did to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. I'm not saying this defense is half of what the, the Bucks' defense was in the Super Bowl, but, you know, out of Melvin Ingram, out of Shaq Lawson, you know, draft a Greg Rousseau, a Jordan Phillips in the draft, get at least two solid pass rushers, you know, possibly even kick Clee Farrell inside, man. I think we have a chance. You know, they, they, they say the they say the, the best way to make the playoffs and eventually get to the ultimate Super Bowl championship is to catch your division rivals, man. I think the formula was set right there by the Bucks, And, you know, add a couple pieces of free agency, make it a priority to beef up the pass rush, and the rest of the defense will get better in the back end. I, I, I just think it's so important. We, we need to go pass rush first and free agency in the draft. Well, and, and you know, uh, I, I agree with you on all fronts. And, you know, you mentioned the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and what they were able to do to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, here's something that uh, that you know I pointed out a few months ago when the when the uh, Buccaneers got to the Super Bowl and and you look at Todd Bowles right their defensive coordinator uh, outstanding defensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, and if you're wondering like the kind of impact that a defensive coordinator can have from one year to the next um, if you go back and look at where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were defensively in 2018 the year before and I'll, I'll I'm gonna uh, check it when I get a chance uh, maybe uh, Demond can can uh, my producer uh, while I'm babbling on here uh, might be able to look at look that up but in 2018 I want to say they were one of the uh, just a bottom you know 10 defense in the NFL they were bad the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, Todd Bowles gets there in 2019, and I'll check this out too, but they made a dramatic move forward uh, with Todd Bowles now as their defensive coordinator from 2018 to 2019. Now, some of that was additions, you know, bringing in uh, new players, um, free agents, uh, the draft, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it was also this new defensive coordinator who saw things differently than, than the previous uh, coach and was able to coach these guys up on a much higher level. They made an overnight 
flip. Um, and, and, and I'm not saying that the Raiders are going to be able to do that with Gus Bradley. Like, it was a dramatic flip uh, that the Buccaneers did from one year to the next. And they, they got even better in 2020 in Todd Bowles' second year uh, with, with, you know, running that, running that defense. But what I am saying is coaching matters. And, yes, talent all ultimately always prevails and is always the deciding factor in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah, but if I'm, you, right, I'm right there with you, man. We, we got to start hitting on these draft picks that we got to start going value over need. I mean, you look at the last couple drafts, you know, the time will tell whether Farrell, you know, pans out, but you have a generation type linebacker. I know Raider nation is going to hate to hear it, but it, it's fact. We, we should have taken Devin white in that draft. Hey, I got to I'm, I'm going to, I have to disagree with you, brother. And I'll, I'm going to point, I'm going to talk about this today. Uh, Mike Clay from the NFL, uh, I think he's ESPN, did a really good Twitter uh, uh, um, thread on this. Devin White is not who people seem to think he is. He had a couple of good games, but it distorted his overall weaknesses. He is not – If you, I'll, I'll call the grades up here in a second. Clee Farrell is the better football player at his position than Devin White is at his position, even with Devin White making some plays. The guy had six, uh, I think, nine, I forget, nine sacks, but six came in two different games. One against the the Raiders when the Raiders' offensive line hadn't been able to practice the entire week because of COVID. So that was like he had two really, really good games. But otherwise, he's been awful in pass coverage. Uh, he's not the best tackler. He's missed tackles, um, and he's been a liability in a lot of in a lot of different areas. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna point you guys out to this thread that I was looking at this morning because I've been talking about it on the show. I I look, I'm a Devin White fan. I think he got better as the year went on, uh, but this thing that the Raiders should have taken him over Clee Farrell. Clee Farrell is grading out higher, much higher than Devin White is at his position, and and it's not even it's really not even close. We get so caught up in some of the flash plays that happen. And, yes, he had some sacks. As Mike Clay pointed out, he doesn't believe those sack, those, that sack total is sustainable. Again, he had three – twice he had three in, in, in one game, once against the, Tampa, or against, uh, the Raiders. And I want to say another against the Atlanta Falcons. He might have had three. So six of his sacks came in two games. Um, and, and that uh, six of his nine sacks. So, so for a bunch of other games, you know, he wasn't, uh, this, this great pass rusher. We saw some plays that he made, especially on a big stage. And everybody has just, you know, kind of run with the fact that Devin White, White, uh, was, should have been the pick when in actuality, Cleve Farrell is a really, really good football player who's getting better, trending higher. So anybody is he four overall? Like looking back now, I mean, you know, it's it's two years in, and I'll, I'll give you that that Devin White is a product of that defense, and and he his, he looks a lot better being a part of that defense. At four overall, what did we get? Max five overall? I can't remember what it was that year, but you're expecting that production, and and you know, maybe he's a late blossomer, maybe it was Gunther not developing him correctly. But when you're drafting the top five, you better damn well make sure that that player is going to be an instant impact. Where was Devin I'm White sorry. picked? I think Devin White was five. He, but he has. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to tell you that he ha, he's been a liability. It, he, Clee Farrell is not a liability. Clee Farrell is a 
um, kind of an anchor player on the defensive line. It's not his fault that other guys, you know, didn't get their jobs done. He was at a very, very high level. Uh, uh, Cleve Farrell was, and I think he's he's continuing to get better. Um, uh, Devin White wasn't, and Devin, you're saying that Devin White, and I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just, I'm honestly, because I saw this this morning, and I'm like, thank you, somebody finally pointed this out because I've heard Devin White. What's that? I think, he, I think Devin White led that defense. It's tackling is a um, it, 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 it's 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 a counting kind of a number sometimes. Sometimes you're just that, that's something that the Raiders defense definitely cannot count on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Kukowski had a had a had a pretty good year. Kukowski was a better linebacker last year than than Devin White was. Believe it or not, like overall, he was he was a lot better. Uh, Nicholas Morrow graded out higher. Uh, than Devin White, we got we we kind of got carried away some fans with seeing some splash plays that he made, but consistently, if you were to talk to Tampa Bay Buccaneer, that's that's another point. Uh, uh, something you know, a point that I try to point out is if you as a Ra- if if Devin White was on this team, on this Raider team, playing the way and and you guys drafted him fourth overall, and he was playing the way he's playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, even with some of those splash plays, you'd still be scratching your head going, geez, this guy is killing us. He's terrible in pass coverage, which is a huge part of the whole deal, a huge part of the whole whole deal. I'm going to, you know, when when we go on break, I'm going to call up this thread and and point some of these things out. Cleve Farrell right now is is in a better position to maximize where he was drafted than Devin White is at, with with the fifth pick. It's just the fact of the matter. And and do you think Clee would benefit from moving inside and maybe like that, like like signing a Melvin Ingram or getting a Greg Rousseau as that book and 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 you have Clee in the inside for that inner push because outside of uh, Jonathan Hankins, I uh, Mo, you know Mo, Mo Hurst has been hot and cold with the team. I do, do you think a change in position maybe he he'd get a little bit better look. Uh, no, well, here, here's what I would say. Um, I think on, on on early downs, I like Cleve Farrell right where he is because he's really good against the run. Okay, and those are running downs right there. You need somebody like as a for instance, and nothing against Max Crosby because you know there's a reason why he was drafted in the fourth round. He's been bad against the run, and maybe it was technique, maybe it was the way he was being utilized. I don't know the all the answers to that, but if you if you look at one of the defensive ends compared to the other defensive end. One is very good against the run. The other is very, very bad, actually, against the run. He just is not good right now, Max Crosby, uh, against the run. So when you're talking about moving Klee, I, I think the preference would be finding somebody that can play opposite Klee. Keep Klee Farrell at defensive end, maybe on some known in some known or, 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 or different looks. You move him inside on a passing down to get another pass rusher on the field, uh, which is something that they've done and, and will continue to do. But I think more importantly, you need to find somebody that's going to be able to to play opposite him. And you you mentioned some really good names, uh, the Miami, the two Miami kids. Uh, there, there's 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 a slew of of, uh, of defensive ends that probably will be able to step in day one and offer some uh, you know some production. But 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 whoever that is is going to play opposite. Uh, Clee Farrell, Max Crosby could be a candidate to come off the bench in a rotation. Nothing wrong with that. Plenty of guys have made a lot of good money, um, you know, playing that sort of a role where he's not exposed on a down by down basis, uh, where some of his weaknesses uh, get exploited. Uh, you bring in somebody better than than Max Crosby. Keep Clee right where he is, except on you know, like I said, on on unknown passing downs. What you could do is 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 if you if you draft. 
another defensive end to play opposite Farrell. What you could do is move Farrell inside on known passing downs and have Max Crosby play opposite him. That would be a nice little tandem uh, on, on that side in certain situations. But down in and down out, um, no, Clee Farrell needs to stay at defensive end because he's very good at setting that edge and being a run stopper. And that's a lot, a big part of uh, the game of football. And well, hey, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, hey, I'm going to let the other callers talk because I've been on here way too long, but just curious if you saw the Melvin Ingram Instagram story of him in Vegas and what did his buddy put, like, coming soon or whatever. I don't know if you you caught that on social. I didn't, but I'm going to take a look at it right now. That's pretty awesome. And, yeah, obviously he played for, um, you know, Gus Bradley in Los Angeles the last three years, um, three or four years. So he would definitely be somebody that I'm sure that the Raiders are interested in at the right price. Uh, but if he could still play and if he could still rush the passer, he, that's, a, that's a guy that, you know, you, you definitely uh, have some interest in, in bringing in. Uh, no, no question about it. The Raiders need to beef up their pass rush. There's no question about it. Um, you know, and in, and in Clee Farrell's uh, case, uh, and I'm going to, you know, when we go to break, I'm going to look this, uh, the, this, this thread up on, on Twitter today for fans to, to really look at and take an honest look at from somebody that he's not talking about Clee Farrell. He's literally talking about Devin White and the, and the weaknesses in his game. And there's a lot of them. Um, and I think that Raider fans just got caught up with some, some of the things that Devin White did do, some splashy plays that he made, and automatically assumed that he was that's the player that the Raiders should have taken at fourth rather than, rather than Clee Farrell. Well, Clee Farrell is a better football player. I'm just, I'm just saying that. He's a better football player that I think um, is continuing to get better. Um, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bator. We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Raider great Lincoln Kennedy. This is Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Uh, welcome back to Raider Nation Radio. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Uh, yeah, um, I wanted to, uh, let's first, uh, oh, uh, how can I forget who's coming on right now. Sorry about that. Uh, we'll get into uh, Mike Clay's thread about Devin White and how it relates to Clee Farrell and everybody just assuming that Devin White's the better player than Clee Farrell and the Raiders should have drafted Clee, uh, Devin White at four uh, rather than Farrell. It's just nonsense. Uh, they're, they're, Clee Farrell is a better football player than Devin White. Devin White made some splashy plays, but he just – his overall grades are are not good, um, and and uh, the pass rush, uh, while splashy at times, um, isn't you know uh, isn't like elite. It's not an elite uh, factor. Ne- not, neither is his run. So uh, I think fans kind of got caught up in the splashy plays and not the day or, or play in play out plays that a guy like Farrell makes. Uh, he's going to be just fine and has been fine. I don't get why Raider Nation. Um, is so down on this guy. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in my good friend, Ed Graney from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Ed, how are you doing? Can you explain this hate that Raider Nation sometimes has for uh, for Cleve Farrell, uh, the defensive end, who took a major step forward uh, last year, um, by all accounts, is headed in the right direction and, and is – uh, what the Raiders, uh, you know, uh, expected him to be at this point, and I think he's going to continue to get better. What, what's what's up with that, Ed? I think it's I got to be. I think it's one number, and the number is four, and he was drafted fourth overall. And I think when people see that, uh, there, there's an assumption made on draft night, like, well, he's a fourth overall pick. 
you know, he should do this and this in his first two years. It doesn't always work out that way. Some guys are different players than you drafted. Some guys excel at other things than you thought they would, and they need time to grow and mature. And, you know, I think his body needs to keep, you know, getting there. So I think, you know, perception, you and I both know better than anyone, perception's reality. And the perception, a lot of people says, well, if you're top five pick, you must be this way. And if you're not, you know, you're a bust, which is a really simplistic and probably in many ways kind of ignorant way of looking at it because you have to take each individual case on its own merit and say, okay, how was he his first year? How did he improve his second year? Is there is his trajectory still keep going up, which I think with Cleve Farrell it keeps going up, and his trajectory is positive after two years. But I always think, Vinny, it goes back to draft and where they get drafted. And people just assume if you're drafted there and you're not here after two years, they made a bad pick. And again, you know this. I mean, way more goes into it than that. So um, you'll have to wait and see. Like I said, I, they obviously like him. Um, I think we both agree they have to get better up front, whether it's Cleve Barrow or Max Crosby, whoever's interior. They just have to get better up front, I mean, and, and get another rush guy. Um, that's just for the overall scheme of the defense, never mind who's already there. Uh, but that's kind of what usually happens if you're a top-ten pick. People on the outside, the fans, just assume you're going to be somebody – and when maybe you're not that person, you know, they go crazy. Yeah, and what's 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 funny is that, you know, if I had a nickel for every time Devin White's name gets brought up, I'd sure. be a rich man, Ed. Yeah. I'd be well, really we'll rich be right now. what we do. I know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but the thing is, by all metrics, by all measures, Klee's the superior player by far uh, to Devin White. It just, like, everyone gets caught up with these – with these numbers that they read, yeah. um, or if they see a game and, and the guy happens to have a good game, one of them was against the uh, the Raiders. He had three sacks, but six of his nine sacks came in two games. Um, I, and I, I I do say this though: if fans were to watch, if Raider fans watch Devin White with the scrutiny that they watch Clee Farrell, I think they'd understand what I'm talking about a little bit better. Maybe it's maybe. always like it's always greener. The grass is greener, right? Like it's always. You're always, you know, it's, he's always going to be compared there. He's going to be compared to Ed Oliver. He's going to be compared to guys who were picked after him that people or draft experts or draft gurus or whoever uh, thought should have gone ahead of him. I was in Nashville for that draft, and I will tell you, because Ed Oliver was in the, in the, whatever the green room was in Nashville, it was a room in the back of the, uh, you know, it was pouring rain in the back of my tent. But um, when he got picked at four, I mean, it was like shock. Like people, like throughout the room, was like, "What? What did they do? What did the Raiders do?" Who's yes, that? I remember that. Kind of, yep, yep. Yeah, it was really shock. So when that's the first perception of people, whether it's right or wrong, that's the first you know kind of shock that goes through. Then Raider fans, I think, take that a position as like, "Well, why didn't they pick that guy? He was supposed to." You know, we were told by draft experts or by Kuiper or whoever he was supposed to go before him, and then it just kind of snowballs into like, you know, if the guy isn't rookie of the year his first year, he doesn't have fifteen sacks. Well, you know, that was a busted pick. I mean. It's, we see that so often with fans, you know, that you see that with fans. And the other thing you see with fans is with Raider fans, not just Raider fans, but every fan, if the Raiders sign everyone the Raider fans want them to, the Raiders will have a cap hit next year of $700 million. <laughs> right. It's like every time someone's available, like, well, go get that guy. It's like, well, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. There's only so much money to spend. So if, if put it this way, if the Raiders put together a team that their fans wanted, they win a Super Bowl next year. Meanwhile, those same fans were like, yes, when they signed, uh, you know, Corey Littleton last year, but yeah. after watching yeah. Littleton, but you idiots. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, so, just, and what have you done for me lately? Right, exactly. Um, by the way, now that you reminded me that you're in Nashville uh, for, this, for the uh, draft in yeah. 2019, I got to ask you. What's the better barbecue in your mind, uh, Tennessee, Nashville, or Kansas City? I'm going to go Kansas City because I can't assume that you were in Memphis. I've been in both Memphis and 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 and, and Nashville. Um, yes, but let's I've just been in let, both, and I don't think 
I, I'm not going to say it's not close, but you know, every day that ends in all the Y, Kansas City. Kansas City is pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah, it's really good, really good. Not uh, their so offensive line, though, Ed. It doesn't look like the offensive yeah. line's going to be very good. Well, I, you know, I I've listened to your show, and I, it's interesting. So this is interesting, and one thing about Mike Mayock, and obviously, I think you know, I wrote the other day. I think they've missed on free agents. Yes. They have to be better, and he said they got to be better too. So when he says it, you know, they got to be better. But the one thing I really agreed with him on his press conference was, I think the, I think the smart thing is to be patient because. You know, and you've written this, we know what the cap will be for them, and the cap's going to be different for each team, obviously. But what I think is going to happen, you know, like guys like Eric Fish, and these guys getting released, and all, all these guys getting released this week. What's going to happen, I think, and I might be wrong, a lot of these guys are going to head into the market thinking they're worth something. And all of a sudden, their agent's going to be like, uh, you know, it, I don't feel that number. That number's not what we're going to get. And I think if you're patient, there's going to be veteran guys with this cap situation that are still going to be out there that you can go get at probably a price you didn't think you could get before. I mean, certainly not three, four, five years ago when we didn't have COVID and the cap kept going up and everyone was rich and happy. So I think Mayock's really uh, correct in saying just be patient and don't jump on the first day. Don't just start signing guys. Because I think people are in for a rude awakening in terms of agents about what their guys are really going to be worth. And I also think, you know, I would do, I would, you know, I'd bring back Incognito on a lower deal. I mean, I know it's a bad injury for a man his size and his age, but I think I'd bring him back. Um, you know, Gabe Jackson, again, there's, Gabe Jackson is another really good, you know, a really good example. What if he hits the market and he's just not worth what maybe Gabe Jackson would have been in a real year with, you know, with all the money? Who knows? I mean, maybe they restructure him. I, I just think the patience that Mayock was preaching in his press conference to all of us is the smart way to go. Like, I wouldn't start throwing money at people like right away because I think there's going to be a lot of guys out there that are good players that you might get at a cheaper rate. We're talking to Ed Graney, the great columnist for the Las Vegas Review-Journal and my good friend and colleague over at the uh, uh, RJ. Uh, you could follow him at Ed Graney. Okay, um, just to push back just a little bit, I have, a, I have one. I think that you're absolutely right with the patience. No question about it. But I think um, patience, I think this is a year where you can do both. I think that because there's going to be so much depth, uh, that you mentioned, I think you could go make a big blast on day one. At least one player, one of the premier guys, just throw some serious money, um, you know, at that player. Whether it's John Johnson, that's a guy I've been advocating for uh, as as a free safety. I think he's the premier guy at his position, and maybe overall, um, he I, I'll stack him up against anybody. You make the big splash on with one position and get that thing locked up. And then play the patience game and uh, let the market come to you on the defensive line, maybe linebacker, other positions. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, I mean, look, if, if you're talking a lead elite guy, a perfect example is, you know, and I know people say defense, defense, but had the Bears not tagged Allen Robinson, I would have gone after him because I still think they need a big-time number one guy. But they tagged him, and, you know, Godwin was tagged, and I think Galladay's out there. But all of a sudden now you're into the second-level receiver. So to me at this point, there's maybe better guys than Nelson Aguilar, but I would still try to bring Nelson Aguilar back. If I can't get, like, lead elite guy, I'm probably going a guy I'm familiar with. But you're right. If you have an elite elite guy at a defensive position, then get him on the first day if you can get him. It's more – I think my point was more like the second-tier guy. Yes. Like, yeah, the, look, the big-time guys are getting paid. Like, they're not that, – that's, that's going to happen. He's going to get paid. So if you can get him, then pay him. But then after you do that, just wait a little bit and see what the market bears on a lot of those other dudes. Um so, yeah, I mean, if, if you can get a league guy in his position, um, whether it's him, like I said, I was mentioning you know, Alan Robinson, just like the best of the best, then you have to try to get him because they're going to improve your team a lot. 
If you can't, though, or you get outbid or you just lose on a guy like that, and suddenly you're at the second and third tiers of the safeties and whatnot, you might want to just take a breath and just see where it goes. By the way, um, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, on Melvin Ingram's, I want to say it was his Instagram, um, <laughs> Melvin Ingram, uh, you know him well, uh, the yeah. defensive end from uh, linebacker from the Chargers who played for Gus Bradley and played yep. well, uh, sent out a photo and I, you know, um, it's in Las Vegas and it says Las Vegas, Nevada, and it says at King Mel 54 with a uh, fire emoji coming soon. What do you read into this, Ed Graney? Jeez, I didn't see that, but... Uh, I'm looking at it right I, now. Well, I mean, you know, I think Gus Bradley might have gone in the laboratory, as we know he did, and came out and said, boy, we got to fill a lot of holes and started thinking about guys he's coached. So, yes. um, yeah, I mean, I, that's interesting. I, I try not to completely read into players' tweets and uh, Instagrams, because half the time I completely miss on what they mean. Um, I mean, Trent Brown... Twitter uh, alone could give you six months of just headaches. I'm wondering what that guy means on Twitter. Um, but if it's Las Vegas and coming soon, I mean, you know, I, I guess as the beat writer on the first day of the league, uh, league opening with free agency, you better be ready. Because it might be Melvin Ingram signing with the Raiders. It's, you know, either either he's signing with the, with the, with, with the Raiders or he's got a big poker tournament that he's planning. Yeah. I don't know. It's one That's of the two. The thing. I mean, he might, you know, he might be hosting a party post-COVID or something like that, or he might be coming. But, um, you know, Bradley, you know, I think, you know, he's been, he's, I think Bradley was a good choice. And what do we always say, you know, you and I about coaches, like, they do what's comfortable a lot of times. Like, so if I know a guy, and I think he's really good and he fits my scheme, and he's worked out with me before, you know, I'm, depending on the money, everything's about money in the cap, you know, I'm more apt to shade towards that guy because I trust him and he trusts me and he knows what I want. Uh, that would put him in that category. So, I mean, I guess it wouldn't shock service if, if that was one of the moves they made only because of the familiarity Gus Bradley has with them and Gus Bradley probably would prefer guys he's coached and know what he wants out of that defense yeah and I think that um you know uh I'd have to go I could as they always say I gotta go look at the tape on Melvin Ingram right. um do my do my film study but I have to I have to believe that he'd be an upgrade <laughs> on the Raiders without without question yeah. so yeah and that, again he's yeah he's an upgrade I mean you can say that and not even really say anything about who they have. I mean, you know, like you said, you're going to get a really, really good player at that spot. So, you know, that's an upgrade. And then they need to upgrade a lot of spots on defensively. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's interesting. I guess we'll keep our eye out when the free agency opens if it means either a party or he's coming. We are talking to Ed Graney, the great columnist from the Las Vegas Review Journal. You did write about, uh, you know, Mike Mayock um, and, uh, and, you know, essentially, and I think, I think, Mike would agree, uh, and I think he alluded to this. He needs to rebound. Uh, it was yep. kind of, you know, you maybe overthought it a little bit last year. And, you know, in his defense, and we always have to qualify these things, uh, it's not absolute and, you know, uh, just strictly black and white. There is gray area sometimes. Last year was the craziest year that I could ever remember. So there were some extenuating circumstances. But I th- always believe, Ed, the key is – if you've made mistakes, own up to them and then learn from them and don't let them happen again. That's when you start getting into big time trouble, like when you when you start repeating mistakes. Um, do you yeah. believe Mike was was earnest in saying, you know, hey, uh, uh, looking back, um, could have done things a little bit differently and we're going to try to learn from that? I mean, you hope he would. He said we got to get better. Uh, and they do. I mean, look, it's not we don't need to. Uh, 
you know, uh, overly speak on, you know, the free agent mistakes that, they, that has happened because it's, it's, it's obvious of who they've released and how much guaranteed money they paid these guys, and now they're gone in two years. I mean, but like you said, you're going to take the hit publicly. You're going to take the hit with your fans. But I'm with you. Like, I'd rather take the hits and move on than be stubborn and let my ego get in the way and hold on to guys and keep paying guys who aren't performing. Like, then you're not going to hurt your – you're not going to help your program because you're just letting your ego get in the way. And every one of these guys in every position that Max in and Gruden, every coach, every GM, you know uh, most all of them, they all have egos. There's no question about that. So they don't like to admit, like, boy, we really missed on that. So when he said that, I'm like, okay, you know, you own it. You, you release guys. Now we're going to talk about it, and we're going to say you really missed on them. But, you know, then – Go and, like you said, make better decisions next time. I mean, the one thing you want, don't want to do is what you said is have such an ego that way you don't admit it and you just hold on to guys who aren't performing. Like, that like, doesn't help anyone. It doesn't help you as a GM because they're not performing, and it doesn't help your teams. You're not going to get better. So, you know, he moved on from guys. Uh, there still might be guys coming. I don't know. I mean, I think they're trying to probably free up as much as they can to get to get uh, defensive players in here and what they're going to have to do in the draft. Um, but, yeah, look. He's a GM, which means you're never making all the right decisions and you're making all the wrong ones. You make what you make, and people evaluate them and give opinions, and then you just move on. It's part of the business. That's why he and John get paid well, and that's part of the, that's part of the deal, fair or not. And I'm sure they both know it going in. And, you know, I, I'm not going to speak for Ed, but um, he could speak for himself on this. I've been in this business a long enough time, Ed, uh, and, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it. There are, it's not always the case where people actually admit their mistakes. And how many times have you walked away from an interview with a head coach or um, a, a, an athletic director or whatever the case might be, a decision right. maker, and you're, walking, you're asking these questions expecting – like a frank, um, you know, assessment. Like, yeah, you know, man, we we got to do better, or, or whatever the case might be. And you're and 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 they're just this the 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 glass is always full type of a thing. And you're walking away going, what? He just doesn't get it, or she doesn't get it. What? What in the world? How can they not at least admit uh, some of yeah. the mistakes? So it is. It is. It's not always the case. So it is somewhat oh, refreshing. No, no, I I've been around coaches and ads and at the collegiate level and. You know, it's just never their fault. It's just, you know, it's always – and I've been around guys who I don't respect at all who throw kids under buses and stuff like that. Look, you, you have a problem with your team. When the, when the doors are closed, if you want to go after your team, whether it's the NFL or college whatever, go after your team. The doors are closed. But I respect most people who come out and say, hey, you know what? And, and I'll say this for Gruden. He said that a lot last year. Um, and whether he believes it or not doesn't matter. He's saying it. He said, I have to do better. So I respect that because, again, I don't know if he believes – it doesn't matter if he believes it. I just know his public – public uh, comments are, I have to do better. And that's kind of what you want to hear. Because what he tells those guys behind closed doors, is that's between him and his team. Right. They really shouldn't have anything to do with anybody. You, me, the fans. I mean, that's his team, and he has every right to go behind doors and scream or whatever they do and you know, or say what he wants. But I do, you know, I respect to Gruden for when he, we've been on these Zooms, and I hate the Zooms. But anyway, we've been on there, <laughs> yeah. and he says, I have to do better. And that's what you should say. You might believe it, you might not believe it. But that's what you should say when you lose, and, and Gruden's been one to say that, and Mayock said it the other day. So, you know, they're saying the right things, and then you hope is, you know, the fans who listen to your show and everything, that they follow through and they do make changes and everything. And at that point, you just have to wait and see. But I do believe they say the right things publicly. 
Yeah. Well, I'll say this. When it comes to throwing kids under the bus, if I eat the last cookie and my wife finds out about it, you better believe the kids are getting yeah. thrown under the bus on that one. So I'm just saying you can't that. Imagine, you can't imagine how much my daughter and son have been blamed of that they never did. <laughs> it's what we do as dads, man. And my dad did it to me. I'm doing it to my kids. Dang it. So. Darn right. Exactly. Well, Ed, thanks for spending some time with us in the huddle. Always appreciate the insight and the humor. Keep up the great work. We will talk to you down the road, my brother. All right, buddy. Take care of yourself, man. You too. You too. That's Ed Grady from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Always bringing the insight. Uh, We'll definitely have him on as uh, the weeks proceed and free agency and the draft and all that. Uh, Get his thoughts. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Interact with the show. Text Benny and Lincoln on the Sam and Ash text line at 69187 or tweet them at Benny Bonsignor and at L Kennedy 72. This is In the Huddle with Benny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What up, Raider Nation? want to say thanks to uh, Ed Graney, our good friend over at the Las Vegas Review uh, Journal. Um, yeah, uh, getting some, uh, some, some pushback on Twitter uh, about this um, kind of debate with Raider fans uh, who think that Devin White's like some second coming of Lawrence Taylor. He isn't. He's not. He's not as good a football player as Cleve Farrell. He's had a, you know, he, I, I, and I like Devin White, and I'm not saying that he's not going to get better, which he will, I believe. Um, but this notion that he's a superior player to Cleve Farrell just is not based in reality. It's based on poof stats, a game and a play here or play there um, that has has obviously stood out uh, among Raider fans. But if you watch Cleve Farrell play in and play out, and watch Devin White play in and play out. You'll see a player that's uh, helping his team more than the other. Just flat out, he's the better player. There's no way that you can argue with me based on the current stats and metrics and measurements and grades and all that, that Devin White would have been the better player selected at number four compared to uh, Clee Farrell. And we're going to get into that uh, in just a second. Our, our, my good friend, Stack uh, uh, Anova uh, on Twitter uh, uh, just tweeted out the the grading uh, for players picked four through thirteen in the twenty nineteen draft. Number four, Cleve Farrell, uh, last year graded out as a seventy six point one defensive player at his position, sixteenth best in the NFL. And it w- if it wasn't for uh, a late se- season injury and the bout with COVID nineteen in in late November, which really threw him for a loop, he was grading out as a top twelve, eleven, ten uh, defensive end. That's pretty darn good, Devin White. He graded out at 48.1, 48.1 compared to 76.1. Daniel Jones, the quarterback from the New York Giants, 78.4. Uh, Josh Allen, the defensive end from Kentucky, everybody wanted him uh, over Cleveland, Cleve Farrell. 69.6 uh, is his grade. So Cleve Farrell would have had the better year last year. Uh, Ed Oliver, 45.8. Uh, Hawkinson, 75.4. Give him a, a lot of credit. De- Devin Bush. Uh, uh, Jonah Williams, 70.1. Rashawn Gary, 68.1. Christian Wilkins, 68.9. So this notion that the Raiders missed on Clee Farrell and he's like some bust uh, of a player – Look at the other guys. If you want to, I don't. I mean, I'm not even saying and declaring any of those guys are busts. It's way too early to be saying that. But to say that Cleve Farrell, 
uh, isn't as good as Devin White. It's the other way around. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about it some more, and uh, I'll, I'll read through uh, Mike Clay's uh, very informative uh Twitter thread, uh, and then and then you know we, we will talk about that. Uh, got it, got it. Um, as far as all all, all of that, uh, but before we do, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation listener line and talk to Robert. How you doing, Robert? I'm doing good, Vinny. Uh, thanks for taking my call, and I completely agree with uh, you on Clee Farrell. Uh, at least us old school football fans know that the game is still won and lost on line of scrimmage and playing the run is just as important as playing the pass. And Cleve Farrell plays the run. I expect him to get better as, as time goes on. Uh, having said that, uh, you and I have talked about uh, John Johnson and uh, your wish for him. I see that Shaq Barrett is linked to the Raiders. Uh, if you had your choice, between Shaq Barrett and John Johnson, who would you take? I would just to let you know first. I would let I would take Shaq Barrett uh, just because I think he uh, affects someone like a Patrick Mahomes and affects the quarterback a lot more than John Johnson. That yeah. would be yes. I I, um, I I I tend to agree with you on that. Um, that would be I, Shaq Barrett uh, is everything that the Raiders would need. Uh, absolutely. Um, it's going to cost a lot. I mean, his position, uh, that 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 position, uh, and I'd have to look to see what uh, what he's being projected uh, as far as, as as making. But that position, you're paying a pretty penny um, uh, at that spot. Now, having said that, uh, things are going to be a little bit off this year um, because of the salary cap. There's not that many teams that have sufficient money to spend under the cap, and so. You're going to have to look at that, look at the market, look how much it's going to cost to pay uh, an elite player uh, at that position compared to you know um, how much you would have to pay John Johnson, whose position doesn't doesn't pay as much uh, as as what uh, Barrett's position pays. But yeah, if you're asking me right now, um, I'd, I'd have to go with Barrett, um, you know, because I think that the Raiders really obviously need to to improve that uh, that that pass rush, and I think he does that. Uh, but don't sleep on John Johnson. Don't sleep on that free safety position. And I say that because um, as much as a Barrett would would, would impact uh, this Raiders defense um, in a positive way, I think John Johnson does the same thing. And I, I've seen cornerbacks uh, in front of him with the Rams, guys like um, you know Troy Hill and, 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 and um, uh, guys like that that weren't really high draft picks. Troy Hill was like a, under, a you know undrafted free agent. Um, uh, there's there's been Demarius uh, uh, Williams uh, for for the Rams as well who were ju- they were they're good. Don't get me wrong, but but when you have safeties that are that are helping you back there, it makes your job easier as a cornerback. So to me, a guy like John Johnson doesn't just affect uh, and improve a position of great need at free safety. To me, he he helps Jonathan Abram. I've been saying this a lot. Jonathan Abram, he helps Damon Arnett. He helps uh, you know Troy, uh, Trayvon Mullen in front of him. So you, a guy like that has a ripple effect across your defense. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador.